Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And welcome to part two of a two-part special. It doesn't matter too much if you haven't listened to last week's episode, as the episodes are separate, but we know that you will find those cases really interesting too. As you are listening to this episode, the discussion thread will be open on Facebook again for you to sort of talk about your thoughts and feelings around what we talked about last week and then also today's episode. Um, So Mark, I figured because you weren't able to discuss things as you were, as I was talking last week, maybe you'd have some thoughts and feelings about the cases from when you were editing. So first of all, Ben Batterham, the guy from Australia, did he go too far? Did you sympathise with him? What were your thoughts? Um, So he was the guy who uh, was kind of defending his house. He chased the intruder outside of his house and then um, kind of got them in a headlock and eventually killed them almost by accident. Well, I would say definitely by accident. But he was like punching him in the head. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was pretty brutal. Um, And he got away with it, didn't he? Uh, Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really thought he was in the wrong, actually. And I know you said in that episode that he'd already chased the guy out of his house. So it's almost like what kind of a threat does that person still pose when they're not no longer in your house? Or are you just seeking your own brand of justice? So I felt really uncomfortable with that one, to be honest. Didn't like it at all. And I hate any kind of brutal violence. Um, I much prefer, you know, gunshots or um, something like that. But when someone's been pelted around the head, no. He saw red and just reacted and his reactions then were a bit like you said, almost wanting a bit of vengeance or a bit of punishment for that person. Did he need to keep going? Could he have just chased the guy out and given a good description? Or could he have, you know, tackled him, but then let him go again and the police are looking for someone with bruises? Yeah, it was a tough one, wasn't it? And I think I know I'm the kind of unlucky person that if I punch somebody in the face, they die. Not because oh, I'm that strong. One punch kill thing. Yeah, oh my God, I just that know that I, I just know I'd like fuck up royally, punch someone and they die. But obviously, I'd never punch anyone because I'm just a pussy. But <laughs> um, I know if I did, that would happen. I'd be inside for manslaughter, I guess. And at which point did you think that Byron David Smith crossed a line? Do you think he was wrong from the very beginning, or did you kind of have sympathy for him because he obviously was? being burgled non-stop and he felt really threatened in his own home however ultimately he then killed those kids like I say kids they were teenagers they were old enough to know what they were doing but he then killed them in what felt like to me cold blood so what do you think of him really uncomfortable with that one I think he was probably more culpable uh, he really didn't need to do what he did but then he was almost being victimized in his own home so I kind of understand the mentality but um, yeah he was just seeking again his own brand of justice he wasn't defending his home I don't think I think he, he kind of totally set out to um, to kill them so no I, I, I think he'd gone too far So what did you guys think? Get in touch with us on the usual places. So emails or Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and specifically the discussion thread about all the episodes. Obviously, if you'd like to support us on Patreon as well, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. And there is when you listen to this a couple of days left of the competition for January. Yeah, so you could win what's competition? Wine glasses. And a bag. Bethan's <laughs> miming this to me. Um, I have seen the posts, but I didn't really have much to do with that one. So, um, so yeah, do check it out. If you sign up on Patreon, then you'll be in with a chance to win those goodies. Um, so, yeah, you'll have until Friday. 
So today I'll be once again telling you about two cases which have similarities but are also very different. So we're going to be discussing a man from the UK called Richard Osborne Brooks and a man from Australia called Johann Schwartz, both of whom killed a man who had broken into their house. But first we will discuss a few more of our listeners' thoughts on this topic as well. So I asked the question, how far should a person go to defend their property, family and or their life? And here are some of our listeners' answers. Lauren said, it is difficult to say and I honestly think that it will depend on the particular situations and how the person who broke in started the situation. Say for example if someone came into my home and wanted to take stuff but caused no physical harm, then honestly I would let them, but if it was something else, who knows? On the other hand, I have to say that as a mother, I would do anything it takes to protect my son if his life was threatened and I am sure that any other parent would say the same thing. I am not a violent person and I hate confrontation of any kind and I would always try and protect anyone, but for my child it is something something entirely different. I couldn't truly say if someone was going to harm my child that I wouldn't try and harm to protect. Interesting, because as I'm reading that, I'm just kind of thinking if somebody uh, came into my house and I was there and they they burgled the place, but they weren't going to cause me any harm, I just wouldn't care. I'd just, I'd be like, yeah, take what you want. I just really wouldn't care. That is what they say to do, isn't it? Just take whatever, you know, help yourself, just go. And yeah, then at least then you're not escalating the situation any further. But then equally, I've never been burgled. So I guess you don't know how you would feel until you've had that kind of violation because it is like yeah, a violation. Absolutely. I had my handbag stolen from underneath a chair in a nightclub once and that felt horrible. And I didn't even see it happen. It's just a handbag and I had to change my bank cards. It's not, it, you know, it's not the end of the world whatsoever, but it still makes you feel a bit sick and yeah, violated. It definitely is a horrible feeling. I think the other thing is you kind of think, why me? Why have I been targeted? Why have I been picked? Mm. Is it because there's something about me that deserved it maybe? Because I'm weak or, um, I don't know. I just, I, it kind of makes you think that, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So Haley has said, it depends on the situation. If it's a deadly situation and everything else has failed, so maybe talking or pleading with the individual or the situation is massively extreme, then yes, I would do whatever it takes to protect my family. I'm sure they would do the same too. Charlie said, I think if the person is carrying a weapon and seems like they're willing to use it, then I would use any necessary force to stop them. I wouldn't use excessive force, but enough to stop the immediate threat. If they end up killed in that altercation, then I think it's more like manslaughter or even self-defence. Because if you didn't retaliate, you and possibly your whole family could have ended up dead or seriously injured. And we also have a comment from Jeremy Downs via Danielle's Facebook page. So if anyone broke into my home, I would do whatever it takes to protect my girls. A man's home is his castle. And they put a couple of hashtags, uh, best true crime podcast ever and shut up, Bethan, which is my personal <laughs> favourite. Shut up, Jeremy Downs, hashtag. Shut up, Bethan. <laughs> and Alexandra said manslaughter, but self-defence. So arguably not punishable. You can't take a risk on what might happen should they gain access to your house. Protecting your property is still grounds for self-defence. Obviously, the force has to be reasonable and not overly harsh for no reason. But I think that's a difficulty, isn't it? Because yes, reasonable force. But when you're in a situation with uh, sort of adrenaline kicking through your veins, an intense situation, you don't really know how you're going to react. So are you going to react reasonably? No, probably not. And that was the thing for me with Byron David Smith's case is Minnesota has, they say, um, a reasonable person defence. So the jury had to think, would a reasonable person have dealt with this in this situation? And I think... 
that's where it becomes so emotive because on that jury, I mean, his case is, is very extreme, but perhaps in these two cases that we're going to talk about today, you may see how you would personally react or whether or not you would feel that way or not. It's, it's so difficult to say, isn't it? So our cases this week are both pretty recent. The second took place in 2016 and our first case is from 2018. The first case you'll probably be well aware of, Mark, and I'm sure our listeners in the UK are going to know it as well. I don't know because I saw the name and I was like, I don't recognise it. Oh, I reckon you will as soon as I start talking. It was about half past midnight, the early hours of the 4th of April 2018, and Richard Osborne Brooks and his wife Maureen were at home in South Park, Hither Green, South London. There was a knock at the door and when Richard answered, two men in balaclavas burst in. They shoved Richard, grabbed him, were shouting threats and demanding money. They must have been an absolutely terrifying sight. I don't know what I would do if I was faced by this, to be honest with you. One of the burglars made his way upstairs, while the second burglar, who was armed with a screwdriver, forced Richard into his kitchen. Richard grabbed the largest kitchen knife he could find and brandished it and the intruder who had forced him into the kitchen turned and ran back out of the front door into the street shouting get out quick he's got a knife. The other burglar Henry Vincent came back downstairs he was also carrying a screwdriver and according to Richard told him get out of my way or I'll stick you with this. Richard very bravely I think replied I think you're wrong because mine's bigger than yours and if you don't leave my house you will be sorry (laughs) oh my god I love that literally like dick slinging it's amazing isn't it he really wanted to show that intruder that he has the larger knife get out of my house I, I just couldn't be that calm and collected and come up with good lines like that and and just be like no fuck you get out I'd I'm just gonna be like oh. <laughs> yeah I, I would I'd just be like mm-hmm. oh my god do whatever you want just you know I'll help yeah. you yeah he was really hoping that like the accomplice had done this intruder's going to run out the front door the front door was still open so it's not like he was trapped you know he had a clear escape route Richard was terrified not only for himself but also for his frail wife who was in ill health and was reportedly suffering from dementia. He shouted, get out of my house you bastard or it'll be the worst for you as he attempted to protect Maureen. But Henry Vincent, reportedly high on cocaine and heroin, refused to back down. He came forward, forcing Richard up against a wall and then lunged and in the struggle that ensued he was stabbed through the heart by the 12 inch kitchen knife. That is a massive knife. That's a foot-long knife. It's a proper knife, isn't it? That's he like a foot-long right subway, one. but in knife format. Mm-hmm. Um, cocaine, I love how it goes back to food. Cocaine and heroin. Mm-hmm. Typical Friday night for Bethan. Fuck off, Mark. But yeah, so this guy has literally chosen the biggest knife just as a threat, and mm. the intruder has lunged onto his knife. I mean, that's terrifying. He didn't lunge out and stab the guy. The guy lunged at the knife. But that's a bit stupid, isn't it? Like, you do not lunge at a guy who's brandishing a 12-inch knife. Yeah. Henry Vincent, badly injured, fled the house. And this was about 12.45 and the police were called. And his accomplice did first attempt to drag him away, but he was too badly injured. So the other burglar just ran. Vincent was found collapsed in a nearby Further Green Road by locals who had heard the commotion. Gordon Williams, a local resident, said, I could hear people moaning in the street and I just thought it was someone drunk. And then I saw the body laying in the street and another guy jump in a van and leave. I leaned over him and tried to reassure him there was a lot of blood. When paramedics from London Ambulance Service arrived, he was on the floor with people all around. And when his T-shirt was lifted, one puncture wound to the upper right hand side of his chest was discovered. The ambulance service took him to Central London Hospital, but he died at 3.37am. 
I'm surprised he wasn't killed straight away because that knife went into his heart and yeah. that, you know, the, his, probably, his blood would have been pumping around his body quite quickly anyway because of that situation. Mm-hmm. And the blood would just literally spurt out of a wound like that. You yeah. know, he could go probably six feet in the air. He ultimately had died from blood loss and it was from a single puncture wound to the heart. And for me, I think that's really key for a defence. He didn't try and stab the guy. He wasn't stabbing repeatedly. It was he was holding a knife and he ran onto it. And it's one one stab. And I wonder if you'll come on to it, but I wonder if they can tell whether somebody almost kind of lunged to the knife or the knife was plunged into them. Um, it's not something that I found out at all. It's not something that came up really. Um, a lot of it was from Richard Osborne Brooks's testimony. So actually, I don't think there's a way that they could tell. However, they, you know, that was his dis- description of it was the guy lunged at him. The second intruder was hunted by the Met's Homicide and Major Crime Command. Mr. Osborne Brooks, who suffered bruising to his arms, was then arrested and he was arrested on suspicion of grievous bodily harm. When Henry Vincent died, that was then changed to suspicion of murder. Richard was taken to a South London police station. The press descended on the area, which was taped off to be searched. Locals were in shock about what had happened, but were largely supportive of Richard and described how there had been a rise in burglaries recently. One quote was, It was quite a shock this morning at 6am, seeing the street cordoned off by police, though sadly not a surprise. While the area is lovely, there's been a definite increase in crime over the past few months. Just recently, my partner was threatened with a knife while walking our dog, and we've both been stopped countless times by people trying to sell us drugs, which is quite a shock given that this is a quiet suburban street. We've definitely felt less safe over the past few months, and we've even decided to install CCTV. But at the end of the day, that's not going to protect you if someone breaks into your home. Another said, there has been a lot of talk lately about cars getting broken into and I've seen kids with scooters snatch handbags from people. It is the first time I've heard about a burglary with a weapon though. And another person said, I suspect that being arrested is the least traumatic thing that has happened to him in the last 24 hours. Whilst I understand that the police have to speak to him, if someone has died in his home, I hope that he'll be released soon. And this really was the general feeling. When it was announced that Richard had been arrested, there was a lot of anger on his behalf. There was a fundraising campaign started to try and help him and it emerged that he had actually previously donated money towards a scheme to help reduce burglary in his street in his local area. So people really felt that this was someone that they should get behind. And one quote at the time was, I feel terrible for the man that was burgled. He doesn't deserve to be punished for defending himself. And how sad as well, if he's been arrested and taken off um, to a police station, you know, his wife, who's potentially got dementia, uh, who's looking after her? Exactly. That was one of the things that really hit me with this case is that's stressful enough in any situation. So if it was me and my other half was taken off, I'd at least be able to rationalise or talk to people and say, right, what are the next steps? But she wouldn't have that option, I don't feel like. No, and she would she would have felt comforted by having him there after such an yeah. event. And obviously he's taken away from her. I think maybe it's because uh, my mum's called Maureen, so it just yeah, makes me feel even worse definitely. for her. definitely. Oh, I forgot the old mum's called Maureen. Such a vintage name, isn't Such it? Such a good name, So, 50s. Though. Hi, Mama Randall. Hi, Maureen. <laughs> so, what do we know about Henry Vincent? While the father of four was not new to crime, he reportedly targeted pensioners and was known to carry a screwdriver as his weapon of choice. He was previously the subject of an appeal by Kent Police who said he was wanted in connection with a distraction burglary that had taken place at the home of a man in his 70s the previous November. In this crime, a woman knocked on the door of the house claiming to have been assaulted and seeking sort of refuge. 
but she left when a white van pulled up and sounded its horn and the homeowner later discovered that valuables were missing. So I think generally while you're at the front door with the person who's in distress, someone's going in the back stealing stuff. I think they're quite common, aren't they, those? Mm-hmm. And it's quite often a woman that's used as the um, the bait, I guess. So yeah. a woman would kind of ring a doorbell and just sort of say, I've run out of petrol or I need to use a phone or something yeah. like that. I'm in distress. I'm vulnerable. I need your help. And then usually an elderly victim, isn't it? So whilst they're hel- helping that woman, uh, yeah, somebody will come in and, and take stuff from the house. Exactly. And actually, a bit of a public service announcement right now. Oh, standard. Here we I go. Know. Fuck's sake. But there's a thing where... um if you see like a lone woman stood at the side of the road, you shouldn't pull over to try and help. You should ring the police and say there's a woman and I think she's vulnerable. Oh, because if ridiculous. you pull over someone, they might then jump you and steal your car. Oh, okay. I thought you were like, oh, you can't do that because a woman might feel threatened. No, no, no. That not that they'll... Just pulled up. No, like if... Or like sometimes there'll be like what looks like a baby, like a car seat at the side of the road. So any normal person would be worried and would be like, oh, I need to get out of the car and check on that person or the baby or the puppies or whatever but they're saying don't like the police have put announcements out saying like okay, don't stop okay. drive somewhere safe and call the police but they'll then go and it, if it's someone who's actually in danger then they'll help them but if not then at least you haven't been jumped by a gang okay there you go Mark. thank you um <laughs> any more public service announcements you need to do in that kind of clipped english oh, okay from the 1950s okay sorry So back to Henry Vincent, he was part of a gang known to escort victims to banks to withdraw cash to pay for work. He was revealed to have been on a most wanted list and had previously been jailed for a total of 10 years. In 2009, he was jailed for six years after charging an OAP £72,000 to replace a single tile on his roof. He told the pensioner his roof joists were rotten and he'd shown him maggots as proof. And we see this quite often um, that pensioners especially are told there's something wrong. They're told that they need this work done and it's not true at all. Seven relatives from Vincent's large traveller family were jailed in October 2003 after conning pensioners out of £450,000. And then this is the part of the story where things really turned for Richard and Maureen Osborne Brooks. The family and friends of Henry Vincent began a shrine opposite the house that he had been robbing when he was stabbed. The shrine of balloons, flowers, gifts, cards and messages was a battleground between locals ripping it down and destroying the items and people who loved Henry replacing the items. And they were left on a fence. One message addressed to Henry Boy said, we love you so much and think the world of you, miss you so much, doesn't seem real. And one of the balloons read, love you, while another read super daddy. A third one said, you'll be missed. And the memorial included one card that said he was too good to walk the earth and another, apparently from Vincent's daughter, read, You was the best, you would do anything for your family, especially us girls. But locals said it was totally disrespectful, and took it upon themselves to make a point, bursting the balloons, soiled cards and ruined flowers were left strewn across the pavement of South Park Crescent in Hither Green, and one person even filmed himself bringing down the shrine and posted the video on Facebook. The post had the following alongside it. When I heard the family of Henry Vincent, the burglar that got stabbed to death by his intended victim, had placed flowers on the road where he died, I was extremely furious. And the clip shows him pulling down flowers and dumping them. How do you feel about this shrine then? I don't like it because I don't I don't like a shrine anyway. So even when it's not a situation like this, when someone gets hit, hit by a car or something and people put flowers at the point where they died, I just don't like it doesn't sit comfortably with me. 
I don't like it. I think what I absolutely loathe about a shrine is the amount of, and I'm not like an eco warrior at all. <laughs> I always love like buying new plastic bags and using bottles and oh my God, not putting no, them in the recycling. I love doing stuff Fuck like that. You. But um, it's the amount of like dirty plastic you get. So they'll put like stuff in like a poly pocket and then the weather kind of batters it and it gets all dirty and it's gross. And there's like helium balloons that look great when they're full of helium. But then when they're all sagging, it's just. So your problem with it. it is you don't like it looks messy but yeah it looks messy it looks untidy it looks cheap it looks plastic um that's what i don't like however you know joking aside I, that's that is what i believe but with this i actually feel that it was their right to put that shrine outside that house because so that's where he died he didn't die there though and i think this mm. was some of the issue definitely okay, good point he died around the corner he died in a street around the corner or perhaps technically he died in hospital or in the ambulance on the way to the hospital or something like that but he died around the corner. He was burglaring this... Is that the right word? Burglaring? Bur- burgling. 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 Yeah. That house. But... And that's where he got stabbed. But he, yeah. he fled. So and maybe so they Some do- people did say the same as you, but... Yeah. Maybe they were doing the shrine almost to goad... And this Maureen is what most people think. Yeah. Most people think that the extended family of Henry Vincent were doing this on purpose to make a point. Yeah. The criminal associates of Henry Vincent made it public knowledge that they were hell-bent on evening the score and the Osborne Brooks were sent death threats. They ended up fleeing their home in fear and not only did they have to leave their home for fear of being killed, but there was also still the fear that Richard could be prosecuted as a murderer too. Thousands of pounds were raised in support of him and his defence and finally, after months of anguish, the police ruled that on advice from the Crown Prosecution Service, they would not be pressing charges of murder. They said Richard was to be released and an inquest would follow. And whilst this was great news, they did come under fire from people who felt that the decision should have been made a lot sooner. The inquest found Richard Osborne Brooks innocent. Senior coroner Andrew Harris ruled that Osborne Brooks had used moderate force to protect his home and his elderly wife Maureen and added that Henry Vincent, who had traces of heroin and cocaine in his system at the time of his death, could have left the home without any confrontation taking place and the burglar's death was ruled as a lawful killing. And I suppose that's almost evidenced by the fact that there were, there were two of them burgling that home. Still doesn't sound right, does it? I can't say that word. No, robbing. Robbing. There were two of them <laughs> robbing that home and one had fl- Fleed, uh, because you know he was able to kind of get out the house he wasn't trapped there so he fleed and the other one could have done that too probably more easily because the front door was still open exactly so he chose to stay and that yeah you know face the consequences exactly richard told london in a south coroner's court that he felt terrified and helpless and said if they still continue to think that we had money in the house they might do something to her to make me give it up but we didn't have any money in the house so they might have done something to her And when questioned over whether he thought Henry Vincent would use the screwdriver to stab him, Mr. Osborne Brooks replied, I would have said it was unlikely for a normal person, but I did not know what was in his mind. And I think that's really key. He stood there holding a knife out, hoping that this person would go, and he ran into it. Mm, That's not not normal behaviour, yeah. Andrew Harris also told the court, I am satisfied that Mr. Osborne Brooks did pick up the knife deliberately and the reasons given was to tell the intruders to go away after the two had threatened his wife and asked for money and one of them had gone to the cabinet upstairs to secure some valuables. The householder insists that there was no intention to harm. He indicated surprise that he had actually stabbed the victim. He was a rational, sensible man. He must have known the recognised risk Took Beth of death. about eight times to say that, guys. I kept on wanting to say rational. <laughs> We've created a new word. 
he must have known the recognised risk of death of holding a sharp knife in the way he did. He had, however, no intention to use it. He would describe it as a reflexive action, so death wasn't in mind. He clearly didn't know the gentleman who was in his house. It was hard to judge what to do. And it seems to me the combination of unpredictability and fear in a stressful situation are factors that need to be taken into account when considering proportionality of the force that was used. And of course, this wasn't the end of things. Henry Vincent's sister, Rosie, who attended the inquest, told the court, my brother was not a violent person. He was a father, he was a son, he was a brother. No one deserves to die. And her mother also gave evidence and said, why couldn't this gentleman have stood back like a normal person? But he didn't because his knife was bigger than his. I really struggled with that because I know that they're going to stand up for their family member and you you would back your family completely. But to say he wasn't a violent person when he's got that track record and to say, why didn't that person just stand back like a normal person? Why should you? Yeah, I completely agree. I think they're just trying to pass the blame. The Osborne Brooks have not returned to their home. And what strikes me, like you said earlier, is the idea of Maureen suffering from dementia. This is a difficult thing anyway to get your head around. But when you're already confused and suffering... It must have been so distressing for her. And Richard must have been so upset by seeing his wife like this. And I also imagine worrying about what would happen to her if he was sent to prison. Probably worrying about her more than what's he going to do if he goes to prison. But then equally, I think he kind of did what he had to do. Because who knows what would have happened if he had not challenged those two robbers. Yeah, exactly. They, could have, they totally could have been violent towards her. They could have killed her. They could have pushed her down the stairs. You just don't know. Exactly. The other burglar is suspected to be a man called Billy Jeeves and he also has a long list of arrests and convictions for robberies but there was insufficient evidence to support a conviction in this case for him. The Crown Prosecution Service and the police here in the UK urge people to always call the police first if you're able to but according to official guidance anyone can use reasonable force to protect themselves and as a general rule the more extreme the circumstances and the more extreme the fear felt the more force you can lawfully use in self-defence. The law doesn't require you to wait to be attacked before you use defensive force, but it does not protect you if, for example, your action is over the top or calculated revenge. And you are given greater protection under the law if force is used to protect yourself or others when dealing with a burglar or trespasser on your property. The CPS says that if you have acted in reasonable self-defence as described above and the intruder dies, you will still have acted lawfully. But it's still harrowing to have to wait so long like Richard had to. And I can't begin to imagine how killing a man, no matter how justified that killing is, is going to affect you mentally. Do you know what? I was just thinking that Mm -hmm. at exactly the same time, like just before you said it. Like Richard has killed someone, whatever way you look at it, whether that was right or wrong. um, I think, you know, he he kind of acted in normal self-defence. So I think personally what he did was okay. Um, But yeah, he's killed someone and you've got to live with that. However, whatever the circumstances, it's a weird thing to know about yourself that yeah. you have killed someone you've brought their life to an end exactly like you see this with um truck drivers or train drivers when someone jumps in front of their vehicle there is nothing they could have done they did not choose to kill that person and yet you hear of it don't you that they just don't know how to live they don't want to go back to their jobs they don't know how to do anything again because it's such a horrible thing to be part of you know richard would have been looking that guy in the eyes probably as the knife went into his heart yeah and blood would have spurted all over richard immediately as soon as that knife was pulled out and i bet he was hoping as well this guy's run out of the house he's been dragged off by his mate richard is calling the police 
I'm sure a part of him is is dreading the idea, oh, maybe he's going to die. But most of him is probably thinking, oh, I've just stabbed someone. That's the worst of it. To then be told, we're changing your charge, your charge of suspected murder. I mean, what the hell? So our next case does touch on the effects of killing an intruder for the person whose home it was. 44-year-old Johann Schwartz was woken by his dogs barking at about 7.30am on the 17th of February 2019 in his Sydney home. His wife, Corrine, and their daughter were also in the house and he went to investigate. In his lounge was a bodybuilder, personal trainer and fitness buff, Bradley Stoper, hiding behind the couch in what has been described as a trashed room. Johan challenged the man and during the ensuing struggle put him into a chokehold in an attempt to apprehend him ready to call the police. But Brad lost consciousness. Mr Schwartz and his wife Corrine called for an ambulance and sought assistance from neighbours with first aid knowledge and details of their triple O call have been released with Johan pleading, come quickly and he's unconscious, call me back now, quickly. But Mr Soper could not be revived. Johan was taken by police and questioned for more than 10 hours before being released without charge pending further inquiries. Investigators from Camden Police Area Command would have the final say on whether or not he's going to ultimately face murder charges, but it's going to, it kind of appears at the moment that this is going to be unlikely. The case will hinge on the post-mortem, which is currently being carried out in Sydney, and results from the investigation will conclude whether the injuries sustained by Sopa are consistent with the actions of a man acting in self-defence. So very similar to what we were saying at the beginning of the show. So this is really, really recent. It happened just under a year ago. So that's why it's kind of ongoing still. I realise as well, at the beginning of the show, I think I said that this happened in 2016. Um, I'm not sure if I did, but if I did, I apologise. I think you said 2019. Maybe I did. Hopefully I did. But if I did say 2016, that was... Um, Wrong. Ben Batterham's case. So I think I got... Oh, well done. But, I could um, just gone, oh, all Australians are the same. Yeah, everything <laughs> happens in the same year in Australia. Apparently so. Investigators there have sought guidance from the State Crimes Command Homicide Squad, whose advice is not to charge Mr Schwartz unless there is an unexpected autopsy report. So currently he and his family are paying a waiting game, much like Richard had to. A criminal defence lawyer had said to the press about the events, a reasonable person would likely feel threatened and fear for their family if they disturbed an intruder in their home. You wake to find an intruder, I'd be perplexed if the police charged an occupant for defending their family. If he was prosecuted, it would shake up the law in a way I've never seen. And so I'll definitely update our listeners on social media when the final decisions and the results are made public. Um, what One thing that really surprises me about this one is the intruder was a bodybuilder. So like mm-hmm. he's probably, you know, massive guy. And then this guy, Johan, um, apprehends him and gets him in a chokehold. It's like, what? Yeah. And you'll find out why. Wow. Yeah. Okay. More information has come out in the meantime about Brad Soper and his actions that fateful morning. Brad Soper competed as a bodybuilder on an international level, was once crowned Asia's strongest man, and he maintained a strong presence online with his Instagram page documenting his strength and conditioning work. In a chilling nod to Mark's recent episode, his Instagram page with over 1,200 people following it is still online, and you can see his last ever post from the month before his death. 
really freaks me out when we see yeah. stuff like this. So I think the episode you're talking about was Darren and Leanne McKee. That's right. Um, yeah. So Darren was a, an inspector with Greater Manchester Police. He killed his wife, Leanne, and she still had an Instagram kind of home renovations account active. And I think the last post on that was the day before she was murdered. And, it, you know, that whole account was just full of hope and aspirations and it was all shattered. You know, it's so sad. And a lot of our listeners have been in touch and said they've looked at the Instagram account and just how disturbing it is to see that. Yeah, I had to have a look at it when you talked about it in the episode after we'd recorded probably the first time out of the millions. Um, But yeah, I had to have a look at it and it was just really chilling. We'll have to get this dude's Instagram up. Yeah, I think so. When the news broke, people called him an inspiration, wrote online tributes and lamented his death at the young age of 35. At his funeral, he was remembered as a good and kind person, but his loved ones also couldn't quite understand why he'd even been in the house and what could have led to this point. So I was just going to say that I find it weird that, you know, we just had a little look at his Instagram account. Actually, he looks like a really kind of together guy who wouldn't necessarily need to rob someone's house for money. So you know, yeah, what was he doing in there in the first place? I think that's it. You see one facade, don't you, on Instagram, especially Instagram, because it's just pictures and you only put up the pictures that are going to show what you want people to see. Yeah, and it's always posing and yeah, Mm -hmm. that kind of perfect life. I was talking to someone recently though about um, how fake online presence is, but I was saying, actually, if you think about back in the 90s when we all had photo albums, you would put only the best pictures in, wouldn't you? You wouldn't take a photo of you having a bad day. You'd only take pictures of good days. So is it really any different? But then would you kind of get like cling film and dye it and put it over the lens to take a photo? Is that what people do? Well, I don't know. Maybe that's what they did back in the day when you didn't have filters. You'd kind of create your own. I don't don't know. I think I've gone mad. (laughs) Anyway, let's go back to Brad Soper. And his mental state had gone downhill several months earlier after he broke up with his girlfriend, Keisha. He hadn't taken the breakup very well and his dad told the press that he still had a broken heart. The pair had been going out for over a year. They lived together until their breakup. They had travelled together to India and Finland for his bodybuilding contest and they'd even bought a puppy together. It seemed to affect him really badly and he was also a user of steroids and cocaine. But his toxicology report apparently hadn't helped investigators determine exactly what had happened the morning before his death, so there will need to be further forensic analysis of this. However, what is known is that just weeks earlier, Soper was found delirious in a creek by police. He was hospitalised the month before his death after being found following a really strange evening. So first he'd ridden his motorbike to a primary school in southwest Sydney on the evening of January 28th. An alarm went off and police were called to the property and its deputy principal had found smashed windows near to the motorbike. Investigating further, the police heard Soper yelling from from behind Bushland at the back of the school grounds. Turned out that he was hallucinating and he was taken to hospital. And more information then came out that witnesses had seen Brad Soper walking in a zombie-like state barefoot along the Harrington Park and around Park streets and through an adjacent forest, climbing under instead of over a shin-high fence before going into the Schwartz family home through an open garage door where he then ransacked it. 
The, I was just going to say, this sounds like psychosis. Yeah. Probably drug-induced psychosis. He's had a psychotic episode. Um, I might be wrong, but it it just yeah. totally sounds like that. And the fact that he was hallucinating before, I thought, what whatever's going on inside that house when he's ransacking it, he I feel like maybe he was hallucinating again. And you described it as quite a trashed room. So yeah. it wasn't necessarily like he was ransacking it to burgle it. It yeah. could just be that he was just ransacking it and trashing it and just kind of going crazy for want of a better word you know fighting an imaginary something yeah yeah absolutely yeah and this is a big guy if people do go and have a look at his social media you'll see um him you know lifting heavy things so he could really easily lifting heavy things weights what what else would you call it lifting heavy weights (laughs) so we still don't know for definite and his dad did tell the press all i can say is what it was out of character for bradley we feel that he's had some sort of a breakdown or something there is no way he would go into anyone's place intentionally there's just no way and other loved ones have come out to say how baffled they are by his actions for example a close friend who said his headspace and thoughts at the time were unknown but i can wholeheartedly say he would not have gone into that house to steal or hurt anyone he was just confused of his whereabouts And another close friend had said he was a decent guy, mate. I'm shocked at the circumstances breaking into someone's house. That's not the Brad I knew. That's not how we want to remember him. It's completely out of character. It's hard to believe it's actually him. I was going to try and do an Australian accent for his friend's comments, but then I thought that's just going to offend all of our Australian listeners. Oh my God, yeah. I think as well about, I don't know how, like what percentage of listeners are Australian, but at least 10% of our listeners are Australian. We've got a good lot of Aussies. We've got a good few, yeah. I reckon about 1,500. Oh, okay. But that's why I did want to use some cases from Australia last week and this week, because I um, felt like... We we haven't really covered anything from over there, and have there's we? There's so many like weird and wonderful cases in Australia. It just attracts freaks. Right. So now we're going to have no Australian listeners. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> so this isn't the end of the story because as with Richard Osborne Brooks and his family, Johan has been left traumatised by the incident. He has battled post-traumatic stress disorder despite being released without charge and he said he remains haunted by his actions. He said he acted on instinct amid fears for the safety of his wife and young child but that perhaps what he did in the heat of the moment was not the right thing. He has admitted that he could have handled the situation better by calling police or activating the house alarm rather than confronting Brad Soper. And he told the Daily Telegraph, I think about it now and again and wonder what would have happened had I done that instead. It's very frightening. You are all that's between him and your wife and toddler and you have to do what you have to do. You must be brave, even if you are shit scared. You have no idea who you are facing and that's why it's so hard to make a measured response that's in line with the threat you face. And he added that he was super conscious of and still feels for Soper's family and friends. But he did say how grateful he was to have such support from his family, friends and employers. I really feel for him because, you know, to be diagnosed with PTSD off the back of it, he's going to be going through hell at the moment. And he's he's obviously remorseful for what he's done. And, you know, he doesn't even really have to say, you know, yes, I could have responded in a different way because no one knows how they're going to respond until they're in that situation. And I think, like you said, the the one punch kill thing, he put this guy in a headlock. He didn't punch him. He didn't attack him. He put him into a headlock to hold him steady until the police came. And his plan was detain this person until the police come. He didn't know that this person is is either going through a drug induced or just having a mental breakdown in some way. Obviously, we're not men- we're not medical trained staff or anything, but we 
we can all see that from in hindsight something bad could happen if you put someone like that in a chokehold but he sees a massive guy who is you know i mean he's in really good physical form he just thinks how can i stop this person from hurting me or my family and that's i think really really tragic well that was exhausting bethan it's um yeah it's been a really interesting couple of episodes because it's something i've wanted to write about for a while and i wanted to get the right cases to talk about i said before um in yes in last week's episode that um some cases are a little bit more high profile and that's why I didn't particularly want to cover them. I hope that maybe I've brought some information that people haven't heard of before with these cases. So thank you very much everybody for listening once again. Um, Go and get your beer 52s. Oh yeah. Glug, glug, glug. And so now you're listening, the social media thread for discussion around the four cases covered in this episode is going to be open on Facebook. So you can go and talk to people whose comments you've heard us read out yes, uh, last week's, I keep trying to say yesterday, Shut up. last week's episode or this week's episode. Um, so talk to people about their thoughts and feelings as well, because that's why we put them on there so we could open some conversations. But also, how far would you have gone in the situations that we've talked about in these four cases? And like I asked Mark at the beginning, where do you feel that, for example, when we talk about Richard Osborne Brooks, how far along that case do you think you would have gone? Um, yeah, where is the line for you? Yeah, Byron David Smith, where do you think he crossed the line completely? Do you think some of it was justifiable? Do you think none of it? Let us know. Um, if you're not currently a member of our Facebook group, then you will need to ask to join, but we approve those requests very quickly. So, um, yeah, do ask to join and do check out the discussion thread. Until next time, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.